I'm Stephanie Socha, and I'm so happy to finally be able to get a podcast out there. People are inspired and get these aha moments Mm -hmm. to create more and create bigger and more fun. I didn't hesitate, and I think it's the Southern girl in me just likes a good conversation. I think that that is the way I connect to people. I am the person who will talk to anyone. Yes, it's amazing that you can connect with people from all over the world because you all share the same interests and have the same uh, passions and then you can just find people from all over the world. I feel like people need so much more than sewing. Like they, they come, they, they use sewing as a way to have fun or to escape um, any kind of difficulty in their life. Focus on whom I'm trying to reach and it helps keep me um, just sort of true to getting as many people sewing their own clothes as possible. But when you take on the new skill, I mean, especially as adults who we are done with our formal education um, and and in some ways have gotten in our adult ruts. And so to have this thing where where we're continually learning and everything we learn makes our quilts better. I, I, I spread joy and positivity through sewing and fabric play. That's my... That's my mission, yeah. I found this creative outlet that I love. I want to have a business. Can I make quilting my business? I have a big collection of um, antique handmade fabrics. And so I look, I look to them for inspiration too. And I just, I love fabric. I know how frustrated and how um, downright resentful I had become of my sewing machine. I look for those sparks of beauty that you see even in spaces that may not necessarily be typically beautiful. You know, he's part, he is part of the soul and the story of that quilt. I was initially machine piecing my quilts and sewing that initial patchwork together, mostly with a sewing machine. And then I started to realize that I was having a lot more fun with the handwork part instead of the sewing machine part. Welcome to Make and Decorate, a podcast for makers who love to sew, quilt, and decorate. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Make and Decorate podcast. This is episode 32, and this is the one-year anniversary of the podcast. I aired the very first episode of Make and Decorate, July 17th, 2018. And boy, this snuck up on me. I just pretty much realized, hey, this has been one year. So... I wish I would have planned a little better and had done a little bit more celebration, but um, I I did do the montage at the beginning, um, little snippets of some guests over the year, and I am just truly blown away by this podcast and the reception of it and the guests that have agreed to come on and share their stories, their expertise, knowledge, um, and skills, products, everything uh, that they're doing in the quilting and sewing uh, industry. So yeah, I mean, this is this is a big deal. 
Um, so I'm really proud of it. And thank you, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all of the listeners, and I really appreciate hearing from you and knowing that you enjoy the podcast. So on episode 32, we're going to continue the um, series on the different types of quilting. And today is um, the third episode in the series, and it's going to be on machine quilting. And I have Krista Watson back. Uh, So happy that she was able to come back on the show. Uh, You know how busy she is. She is a busy, busy bee (laughs) and uh, very productive. And um, yeah, so it was great to um, have a chance to, to talk with her again and learn more about machine quilting. So before that, let's let's get on to our segment one. And uh, I am back from vacation. Last week I was gone um, the the past, what, week and a half um, to southwest Vermont slash New York. It was so funny because (laughs) the New York-Vermont border was like on our street that we stayed on. So we stayed in Vermont and then you go down the street and then we're in New York. Uh, So that's how close and back and forth we were from the two states. But um, yeah, it was just like an activity packed week. And you know how it is like when you get back from vacation, you kind of need a vacation from your vacation. (laughs) And and getting back into the swing of things with work is always difficult. But uh, it was a good a good time. And really, Um, the change of scenery just, uh, was just very refreshing and does kind of reset your brain and your soul and your spirit. And, you know, from being in Chicago and we are in the prairie land, very flat, um, hardly any hills and mountains. Um, and when you go out there, the landscape is mountains everywhere. There are, we're in the Adirondacks, so tons and tons of mountains, beautiful scenery, um, beautiful horizons. Uh, so it was really nice. I just did, when we were driving back <laughs> and we got um, back towards like Indiana. And into Illinois, I'm like, oh, the mountains are gone. It's so sad because you're, you kind of get used to seeing that in your, um, everywhere you look. So then it was back to flatland. So this, where we went to, we visited family, and it's this is a in a very rural farming community. And um, it was weird because it's a kind of it's not just rural, but it was also touristy, too, because they have all these mountains and they have beautiful lakes. So it was kind of like a mixture. So um, where we were staying and where our relatives live was definitely in a small community farming community. And then within a half an hour, you can be in high end, you know, little posh town um, with, uh, you know, Michael Kors shop. And then, uh, another 20 minutes down the road, you're at this mountain resort, ski mountain, 
So it was um, really interesting. I really like it out there because of the variety. And you do kind of get that sort of um, kind of you're you're relaxed and you're you're in the country, but um, civilization is just a few miles away. <laughs> so for me being a city girl, I like that bit of security. Don't ask me why. I just do. And um, there was a running joke with my family <laughs> because uh, in the mountains and out there, the cell phone service was very spotty and we couldn't depend upon uh, Waze GPS, which we really needed a couple of times because we had zero, zero like um, phone service and it was just basically like zero bars. <laughs> so I said, oh, great. This is exactly what the serial killers love. You have no service on your phones and you're out there at the mercy of your car not breaking down or, you know, whatever. So now you understand. I have this bizarre phobia when uh, I am like in a rural area, I guess, or, you know, remote and there's no phone service Um and because I blame my husband for this, because he loves horror movies. And over the years, I have watched movies that I would never have watched had it been like my choice of what we're watching. And I still will not watch any of the gory ones. But the thriller ones, you know, he's kind of like gotten me into it. So, um, yeah. And every time when people are in a remote area in the country that's where the serial killers hang out so that's what I think about no service to start to panic so yeah they were it was it became a joke because <laughs> they were laughing at me and every time we got into a situation where people had no service on their phone they're like oh here we go all right so enough of that it all worked out fine we're all here. We're all safe. So <laughs> we stayed in the cutest little cottage and it was called the Cozy Slate Cottage. And there was beautiful slate uh, paved, not paved, but a slate um, pathway leading up to the front door. And slate is very plentiful in this area. It is quarried and um, considered like, you know, kind of like a slate capital uh, of the U.S., if not the world. So um, you will see slate everywhere in this area. Really pretty. So we did hit some of the touristy areas. We did a day trip to Lake George and um, uh, Prospect Mountain, uh, which is one of the mountains around Lake George. And there was a beautiful view down onto the lake. Um, we Drove by Bromley Mountain, didn't stop there, but that was on the way to the Waterwheel House Quilt Shop in Londonderry, Vermont. Uh, this quilt shop was fantastic. It was pretty big, and the quilt shop is in an old schoolhouse, so it's very quaint, and um, it's, it, what would surprise you is that this is a modern quilt shop. And they had tons of fabric. 
Uh, they had pretty much like the whole collection of K-Facet. Uh, they have Free Spirit, Andover, Moda, uh, and they were, they are a Bernina uh, authorized dealer. So they had a bunch of machines, a big long arm. Uh, so this was really a cool shop. Uh, I met Shelly and Andrew Sass. They are the owners and um, absolutely so kind and friendly. I felt very welcome there. Uh, so thank you very much, Shelly and Andrew and Phoebe. Phoebe also works at the quilt shop and uh, she um, listens to podcasts. So hopefully she's listening to this episode. Hello, Phoebe. Uh, yeah, so I got a bunch of fabrics at this shop. And I have to say, I took some photos, so um, they'll be up on the show notes. But this shop, I love the way how it was merchandised and organized. Uh, the fabrics were in um, a logical order. Like they had a whole roll of polka dot fabrics. They had K-Facet all in a section. Um, they had a little section for kids, children themed fabrics. It is really easy to navigate. And I really appreciate that because I have been into many quilt shops that the fabric placement just absolutely makes no sense and you're like looking all over for a specific fabric um, or a type of fabric and they'll have the solids broken up um, all over the place so I really that's one of the first things I noticed and I really appreciated about this fabric shop and the way they had them displayed was so colorful and that's one of their things I think that they um they pride themselves on is that they uh they love color yeah we are all about color that's what it says on their um business card so yeah this was a great quilt shop it was um uh, a little bit of a drive from where we were at but it was definitely worth it and um highly recommend it they do have a website too so i'll put all that info on the show notes so I did bring a couple of portable projects to work on uh, whenever I had the chance. And one of them was hand sewing. And it was the Trixie panel that I had been working on previously. There is a um, quilt top and bottom. It's a real tiny one uh, because it's for the stuffed animals that the panel makes, the, the Trixie Mouse and Thomas Mouse. So... I it's almost done I, I hand stitched it put the batting in flipped it and hand quilted it with the pearl cotton size 8 that Heidi Parks recommended on the previous uh, episode and it was fun it was really it's really cool you can really see that thread shows up and uh, very good practice so I did that and the other one was crochet and that was the hexagons for an afghan. This one was kind of a slow go for me because I just really needed like a um, a refresher on the different uh, stitches because I'm reading the instructions and you know they're kind of like in that little uh, crochet shorthand. Uh, so I um, had to kind of 
redo a hexagon several times before I finally got it down, but it really isn't that bad. So once I kind of, you know, practiced, um, it's really just double crochets and slip stitches uh, and, and chain stitch through, the, and it's only like three different rows. So, and you change colors each row, or you can do them all the same color. Uh, the <laughs> the most complicated thing for me was counting correctly so that I had six sides to the hexagon. I don't know why I kept making pentagons, <laughs> five sides. So I'd have to rip it out. And I somehow I just got like off track with the counting. Um, so uh, I finally got it. I'm, I made one seven-sided one too. So, but uh, once I finally got that down of of how many you know repeats of the double crochet I had to do, it worked out, and they're so cute. So I'll take photos of those. Um, and <laughs> this is funny. So I'm working on this uh, on our drive back in the car. And my husband made a comment that you seem to be unraveling most of those rather than making them. And I said, well, I've just, I have to get the right sides. I keep doing the five sides. And uh, so he's like, I said, but look, I've got like four done. And he's like, oh, all right, well, how many more do you have to do? And I said, 210. And then there was like a pause and we're both looking at each other and we both busted out laughing. <laughs> I guess he had to be there, but it was the funniest thing because <laughs> when he processed that I had to make over 200 more of these things, it was hilarious. And I just, I was like laughing too, because it sounds ridiculous. I have four done and I've got 210 more to go. Um, and it, I'm averaging like one uh, per, I don't know, hour or so. It's crazy. It's better though. I just made three more. So, you know, I just had to practice up on it. Okay, it's time to get into our topic of the day, which is machine quilting. This is the third episode in the series of the different types of quilting. And my guest is Crystal Watson. Yes, she came back onto the show and uh, we are talking all about machine quilting. All right, so we're continuing our series on the different types of quilting. And today I have a returning guest, uh, Krista Watson, and we are going to talk about domestic machine quilting. Hi, Krista. Hey, Stephanie, my favorite topic. I'm excited to talk yes, to you today. Yes, I'm so excited because... Um, well, first of all, you are my first returning guest on the podcast. Yay! Woohoo! Yay! Yay! <laughs> that, that's a good sign, I hope. I think. Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and um, I am excited about this series because um, I'm learning a lot, and I think my listeners will learn a lot. And I want to take out the, um, you know, assumptions that people might have and open them up a little bit more to all the different types of quilting. And so we're, we're going to continue on with the machine quilting. And I just want you to talk about what machine quilting means to you and why you choose to machine quilt your own quilts. Okay. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. My favorite topic, like I said. Well, I've always quilted my own quilts from the beginning. I've been quilting for about 25 years now. 
And I started in the mid nineties before long arms really came on the scene. So number one, it wasn't really an option. And number two, I had actually tried hand quilting and as awesome as it was, it was way too slow. So machine quilting just really fit the bill. And so because I had just done it from the beginning, it just, it has just become second nature to me. And I love every step of the process. And so even though machine quilting is kind of what I'm most known for and kind of my favorite part of the process, I'm actually, I actually call myself a start to finisher. So everything I do encourages other people to be able to know how to make every part of the quilt, whether they like piecing or quilting or binding or any of that. If I can teach them every step of the process and how they all relate to each other, then they're going to have a successful experience quilting. And the best part is they're going to want to make more quilts. So to me, machine quilting is just one part of the process, but it's almost like the most important thing because a lot of people worry that it can really make or break your quilt. Mm. Do you think it can make or break your quilt? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I kind of said that kind of coyly. Um, <laughs> It can in that you have to not stress about it. And I think what it is, is people like they stress out about machine quilting yeah. because they go to these amazing quilt shows and they see these amazing $10,000 best of show winners. And somebody has been quilting like for, you know, 25 or 40 years. And then this person's been quilting for five minutes mm -hmm. and they're like, oh my gosh, why can't I quilt like that? And they give up. And so what I try to do is I try to back off and I try to say, wait a second, let's not go there. Let's not make these perfectly precise, you know, your life depends on a quilt. Let's just have fun. Let's be very casual with the process and let's make the process enjoyable. So rather than machine quilting being something to fear, let it be something to embrace and put your own signature style and put your own hands on the quilt to make it uniquely yours. And the best part is, you don't have to be quilting for 25 years to make amazing quilts. You can start off literally after quilting for five minutes and with some of the designs and the ideas and the techniques that I teach, and you can have a really good looking quilt. It's all about the process, the designs you choose, and most of all, letting go of perfection. Yes. Yes. I think that's all true. And people get hung up on that perfection and what, like you said, what they see at the quilt shows and they forget that, you know, most people, a lot of people make quilts and they give them away as gifts. And people who are not quilters, I think you call them muggles, like from Harry Potter. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I heard that from, uh, I heard that from Pam, <laughs> Pam, Pam and Lynn from the Stitch oh, yes, show. Yeah. They coined the term. And so I'm like, that is the best term ever. Isn't that is, it? I love that. Yeah. Because <laughs> they look at these quilts and go crazy over it. And you're like, really? And <laughs> But it's true because they can't do it. And I think uh, people's quilting looks a whole lot better than they really think and give themselves credit for. Um, exactly. And then when I, you're, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, when you're two inches away from the quilt, oh, yeah. you're going to notice every wobble and bobble. But when you stand back a couple feet, you're like, oh, wait, that looks much better than when it's right up next to your face. Right. Yes. And, and, and I think that's the part, um, and you, you can say if you agree or not, but I think that's a pivotal moment that makes people either want to continue to pursue machine quilting or they just drop it and then they're like, oh, I'm just a topper. You know, people call themselves toppers. Exactly. <laughs> if they have, and there's nothing wrong, by the way, there's there nothing, isn't wrong, anything with wrong with that. No, no, not at all. But if you want to enjoy the process, I have seen so many times when I've taught students who have like told me, okay, this is finally the class where I get it. This is finally the class where I understand because I'll have students where it's their first quilt they ever make come into my class and their hundredth quilt. And so I get a wide range of students when I actually go out and I teach. But but what people 
say most often to me is, oh, okay, now I get it. Now I can make it. And, I, and what I say is I say, well, all those teachers that came before you, all those classes, they built you up to that point. But at the same time, maybe I'm finally the first teacher telling them to give it a break and to mm-hmm. not worry about it and that you can actually make a quilt that looks good and you can have fun at the same time. So I just, that's the number one comment I get is people are like, oh my gosh, after taking your class, yeah, I can actually make a quilt. I can actually machine quilt my own quilts. And oh, so that, that kind of gives me that validation. Like, okay, I must be doing something right. <laughs> yes. And then they end up having fun and then the stress starts to melt away. And, and... they want to keep doing it. Yeah. That's the important thing. They don't give up. Right, right. Because most of us are the same if it's not fun. Why do we want to do it? <laughs> exactly. It has to be fun. That's yeah. why, I mean, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but that's, that's a lot of people ask me, well, why don't you long arm? Why don't you long arm? I'm like, cause it's not fun for me. <laughs> I'm not a long armor. I've tried, I've tried and I don't like the way it feels. And I don't like the way it sounds. I don't like anything about it, mm-hmm. but I love machine quilting. And so the reason I bring that up is because I have people that come in my class and they like, okay. And they try machine quilting. And maybe at the end of the day, they decide it's not for them. I'm totally respectful of that, but you don't know until you try. And True. so try it once. If you like it, awesome. And if you don't like it, yay, you just crossed that thing off your list, and now you can go on to something else. Right, right. And, yeah, because I really – I want to try it all. And, you know, I, I, I still haven't found what I – what's, like – you know, my go-to, but right now all I have is a domestic machine. So that has to be my go-to. Exactly. You know what? It only took me, it only took me 20 years. So don't worry about it. <laughs> to figure out what do I want to do? What do I want to do? No. Right, right. Exactly. So, um, all right. So that's great. So we, now we know just get over ourselves and get over the fear and um, don't make it too hard on yourself and don't be too hard on yourself, but let's talk about tools and materials. Oh, my favorite so, thing. Fun. The most important, I guess, is the sewing machine, right? Yes, it is. It, this is it. And this is my philosophy. You know, the best sewing machine you have is the one you have right now because you don't have to have the top of the line. You don't have to wait and sell your house. You know, you don't have to wait to have the perfect thing because when I started 25 years ago, I had an old hand me down clunker. And the number one um, important thing in your toolbox, even more than a machine, is a can-do attitude. Hmm. So I've seen these little ladies, these sweet ladies that have come to my class with their, you know, ten, fifteen thousand dollars machines, and all they do is sew a straight line. And I've seen other people come to class with their two hundred dollar, you know, garage sale find and do amazing quilts. Hmm. And even though, of course, I'm a you know, I'm a machine ambassador, which I'll get to in a second. Mm-hmm. But what I need to teach people first of all is you start with what you have. Once you discover the process, once you start quilting and know what you want to do, then you upgrade over time until you get the machine of your dreams, which may or may not cost more than your car. And so <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, yeah, I'm a Bernie ambassador. I have a very nice machine. I've only had a very nice machine for three years. I've been quilting for 25 years. I only got a nice machine three, four years ago. And so mm-hmm. had I waited, I never would have um, learned what I did. I never would have gained the experience on a tiny not top of the line machine mm-hmm. to then once I learned all the techniques and I could finally do it on a nice machine with the big throat space, I was like, Oh my gosh, where's this been all my life? But again, I didn't start that off from day one. I developed it over time. I upgraded over time. I figured out the bells and whistles I wanted. I figured out what machine had it. And then I finally was able to make that decision to get a nice machine. And which of course, you know, I use like crazy, but I feel like I've deserved it over time because I didn't start off saying, oh, my gosh, I have to, like, sell a kidney, you know, to buy this machine. So. Oh, sure. Absolutely. I mean, you you more than earned it. 
And I mean, that's how I look at it myself. I earned this mm-hmm. machine because <laughs> I just yeah. got a Bernina, my first Bernina only, what, three years ago. Oh, so, yeah. Hey, that's, yeah, yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. it's just, and, you and it was know. used. It was used. Yeah. In fact, I reckon. My, yeah, sorry. I recommend starting with the used one because yeah. they're going to be a lot cheaper. Yeah. They're going to be a lot more affordable and find a good dealer in your area that can service that machine mm-hmm. and you'll be much happier with it. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. And even my current one is used, but from the dealer, a local yeah, dealer. Yeah, exactly. Because they, so, get, they get trade-ins all the time. Right. And it's a great way to trade up. Mm-hmm. So, and, yep. I, and I knew the machine was in pristine condition because um, they uh, backed it with a full warranty as if it were new. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Oh, and hey, I do have to put a little plug because I did just get back from Bernini University. Uh-huh. They actually are um, coming out with a whole, um, they're developing their Burnett brand, which is kind of a less expensive brand that um, also offered by Bernina. Um, anyway, and that's a much more affordable model. So it's really yes. cool that they are coming out with more affordable models. That's so for anybody out there that's looking, yeah, yeah, check out your dealer, check out the Burnett's. They're, they're, you know, they're a good way to get into the brand. Yeah, absolutely. And um, while we're, okay, let's just go on this tangent because... <laughs> I know. Tangents are great. We love tangents. I just have to say this. And I, I talked about this, you know, on the episode that's actually airing this week. But I saw the Tula and Bernina collab machines. Oh, it's pretty cool. I saw it. Yeah, I was there. The polka dots, yeah, cool. the gray polka dots. And the and iridescent. Yes, Bad. the iridescent is pretty darn cool. I'm, I know. My, hus- my oh. husband's like, all right, well, you know you're making it big once you get your name on a sewing machine. Or- <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's years down the road, honey, years down the road. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, it is pretty cool. It's, it's white with polka dots, and it's got the, like, iridescent where the metal parts would be. Yes. And she's fabulous. Anybody that's ever seen her, I mean, I listened to her old presentation. I saw her at BU and all that. And she was really smart because it's a, it's a higher-end machine. But when she first came out with her first machine with her name on it, it was kind of a less expensive machine. Yeah, kind of getting people comfortable with it. And mm-hmm. then now she's yeah, so now people are ready to train mm-hmm. it trade in. And so I think one of the brands she offered is very similar to the one that I use. And it is a fabulous machine. So highly recommend it, highly yeah. endorse it. Oh my no gosh. Tula is not paying me to say this, but it's, right. it's just a great machine. No, yeah, great and machine. I mean she and her family are like geniuses at their marketing. They work very hard at it and they yeah. do a very good job at it. And they've been posting these videos and just getting the I mean, I felt the excitement, but I'm like <laughs> Wah, wah. It was cool. I can't get it. <laughs> I know. Well, I may have said this on the last podcast, but whenever I see Tula, I remind her that she's my author-in-law. You know, because since we both wrote a book with machine with uh, Angela Walters, that makes us authors-in-law. Right. Uh-huh. My attempt at a bad joke, but anyway, your family. It's, just, it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm pretty excited about that coming out in the fall. So if anybody, yeah, gets yeah, that. and I think people were, yeah, people were like going crazy and because the Bernina University for anybody that doesn't know it's a trade show and it's just for Bernina dealers that's who attend and then it's people in the industry that are associated with Bernina such as um like Tula because she's a spokesperson for Bernina I'm an ambassador for them and then I'm also a fabric designer for Benertex and Bernina actually owns the Benertex fabric brand so that's why I go to Bernina University talk to dealers mm-hmm. teach them show them my fabric that kind of thing yeah. and so then um, she was there obviously because she was showing her new machine so <laughs> anyway people hear about they're like what's that all about industry only show but it, it's pretty cool yeah. and you get a you get a kind of be on top of what's coming out for the fall in in terms of machines so it's pretty cool true yeah oh man so anyway very nice. Okay. So back to the sewing machine. Now, actually, I have also seen people produce breathtaking quilts with 
like their old, you know, mechanical Kenmore, which those are good machines, actually, by the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. You absolutely can. It's amazing. But my question to you is those the machines that have like only the four to six inch um, harp space. I mean, like when you had your old machine, did you really quilt huge Oh yeah, quilts. I quilted queen size quilts. So the here's the wow. difference: it's all the bells and whistles, and now I just don't have to do as much scrunching and smushing. Okay. So even in my little, I had like, oh my gosh, I had like two generations. I had the 1630. This guy came out in like 1996. So we're talking mm-hmm. old machine. And then I upgraded to a 710. And then when I got when I became an ambassador, then I upgraded to the 770. Mm-hmm. And I think it has, I should know this, it's like either nine or ten inches of space. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I increased my space. And so really, again. You learn the techniques, and my technique, my technical thing that I call it, is you're really just smushing the quilt under the machine. And no matter how big your machine is, you're only focusing on about five or six inches of quilt at a time. So Um, you might be quilting a queen-size quilt, but you're only quilting five inches of it at a time. Mm -hmm. And so when you have a small machine, you have to do a lot more shoving and pushing to get to that five inches. Mm -hmm. When you have a larger machine, it's less scrunching and smushing, and, um, and, and it is easier but it's less manipulation of the quilt, but the technique exactly the same. So now, it's definitely I, possible to, to quilt. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. It just takes more time and you just have to stop more and okay. you're not doing, you're not quilting a hundred inches at a time. The one thing I will tell you though, which people don't talk about very often mm-hmm. and is just as important as the machine mm-hmm. is the table. Oh. So if you can get a drop in table where your machine is mm-hmm. flush and you have all this room and you put a, another little table off to your left and you form like a little L shape, that is going to really hold the weight of the quilt and that's going to make it easier for you to shove and smush your quilt through five to 10 to 12 inches of space. Mm -hmm. So the table is just as important as the machine. Yeah, because, and I I just want to, while we're on this, touching on this a bit, um, talk about ergonomics and how to avoid shoulder and neck pain. Because I find that when I'm quilting, I, and I also do, you know, every people naturally just like do this <laughs> and yeah, I, I do that. Exactly. They scrunch up your shoulders and I do that too. And then I have to like, <laughs> but well, the one issue, and th- this is, this is hard to deal with because unless you have a lot of money to spend on a custom table right. and a custom chair and get everything the right size, most people aren't going to quilt ergonomically. So the next best thing is you just have to take breaks. Like I recommend not sewing for more than an hour at any one time and stopping and taking a break. I know they say you should get up every 10 minutes, but let's be honest, we can get in there and you know, you pop in a, you know, an audio podcast or two and boom, an hour or two has gone by. Mm -hmm. So I set a timer and I will not let myself quilt for more than two hours straight. And I make myself get up and walk around. Now, if I'm on a deadline, I do quilt more hours throughout the day, but I'm taking a break. I'm getting up. I'm rolling my shoulders. I'm getting a drink of water. You know, I'm, I'm, because that's another thing too, is people forget they get dehydrated because you get all into it. So it just goes back to common sense, taking a break. If you do feel like something's getting sore, you know, stretch it out a little bit and uh, work the other muscles. Okay. That's good. It's good to know because, um, yeah, in the dehydration, I do, I'm classic at that. I do that all the time. So... Uh, yeah, I notice that when I'm traveling or teaching or like doing, you know, six hour stints, all of a sudden I have a headache the next day right. and my voice is sore, not because I've been talking all day, but because I haven't been drinking water. So right. I always tell everybody, yeah, you've got your machine, you've got your drop in table and keep your water right next to you at all times yeah. and drink. Okay, good tips on that. Okay, so back up to our tools and materials. So drop in table is ideal. Um, 
And um, if not, uh, you know, just like you said, like put a table uh, perpendicular so that your quilt can lay on it and it doesn't have all exactly. that drag <laughs> and weight. And there's companies down. where you can buy, like if you don't have a drop-in table and you're like, say you're, you're quilting on your dining room table, you can buy an extension table, like an acrylic extension table that's mm -hmm. going to give you more room. Mm -hmm. You can build up the area with books or styrofoam. Anything you can do to make a large surface to hold your quilt is really going to help you out, even if it's oh. temporary. Ooh, that's a good tip. I, I just got one of those acrylic tables for my machine, but it's four plus inches taller than the table, and I still found the quilt pulling down, but you could build it up with books around it or whatever. Yeah, yeah, put some, yeah, put some books, put some styrofoam, something that's going to kind of stay to there To keep steady. a level, and then you'll have exactly. a larger... So mm -hmm. it almost even acts like a built uh, drop-in. That's exactly. a great tip, Krista, because oh, I was good, struggling good. with that myself <laughs> this last quilt yeah. I was doing. <laughs> I know, the things the things we do. In fact, one of the things I've been on the lookout for, and I haven't found it yet, is um, at both at Quilt Market and Bernini University, I'm starting to talk to the sewing machine dealer uh, or the sewing table companies because no one really makes like the table that I want. And so right. I'm kind of in the beginning stages to say, okay, you know, a lot of them will get like these big fancy spokespeople, like these big famous spokespeople to recommend their tables, but those people don't quilt, <laughs> you know, they make tops, <laughs> but they don't machine quilt. Right. So right. that's kind of my, my next mission is to find the perfect table. So I'll keep you posted if, and when I do. Oh, good. <laughs> All right. That's great. And um, machine quilting, you typically use, if you're not free motion quilting, you're using a walking foot. Yeah, or or in the case of the Bernina and some of the other brands, if they have an integrated dual feed, that actually works the same way. And in fact, one of my one of my classes that I taught at, at Bernina University is I use the term walking foot quilting, but it's really interchangeable because if you have that dual feed foot, it acts, it basically acts as two feet. That's what you're doing. When you're using the walking foot, you're having um the walking foot itself is gripping the fabric and then the feed dogs underneath are gripping it. And so it's gripping it at the same time. The dual feed performs the same function. And in the case of the Bernina, the dual feed foot is much easier to get on and off your machine than the walking foot. Mm -hmm. I hate to say it, but the walking foot in most machines is really clunky and mm -hmm. hard to get on and off your machine. Mm -hmm. So by using that dual feed foot, the whole foot snaps in and mm -hmm. off and it's so much easier. And so I don't even, on my new machine, I don't even have walking foot. I just use what? the dual feed. Yeah, I don't, I don't even use it because it, it. I tested it out on yeah. both quilts when I had my older machine and this one, and the stitches look the same. It feeds through the same. The only difference is it's a lot easier to quilt with the dual feed, and it pulls it through um, the same way. And so so now when I teach it, I teach walking foot quilting, but I say you can use the dual feed as well. And the nice thing about the dual feed, what's different than a walking foot, is it looks like a normal foot, but it has a notch cut out in the back and there's this mechanism that comes back from the back of the machine that turns it into the base of turns it into a walking foot. And because of that, you can actually use any foot that has that notch on it. Mm -hmm. So I can use the, I can use the regular foot. I can use a wide foot. I can use a quarter inch foot for binding to get precise binding. Edge stitch foot. <laughs> yeah. Edge stitch. Yeah. Anything that's the dual feed foot yeah. and I can use it. And so it makes the process a lot more versatile. So I've, I've, I've fallen in love with that. And nowadays there a lot of my new quilts. I'm just doing um, like straight line quilting or walking foot quilting. I'm not even putting free motion because it's so fast and easy. Wow. Just use the dual feed. Even though I do both, mm -hmm. some of my kind of more beginner kind of stuff is more you know, geared towards walking foot style quilting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I still love the Bernina walking foot because they've got those three sole plates and the, the open toe and the edge oh, stitch. Oh, yeah. And... Yeah, whenever... 
whenever I recommend quilting, I always, I always recommend using the open toe. And so my favorite yeah. foot that I use for all of my, for all of my quote walking foot quilting is I use the 20 D foot. It's yeah. called the open toe embroidery yeah. and you can see coming and going and they, they do have other feet. They have like for um, stitch in the ditch feet and they have all these other feet, yeah. but I'm very minimalist. I just use one or two feet and I'm good. I'm going to try that. Cause I've never, I've not tried uh, machine quilting with just the dual feed. So, and Bernine is not the only machine that has it. Um, I think it's a FAF. Yeah. Uh, the FAF has it. Has and some it. of the other, yeah, I'm starting and, to see more and more. And some of the higher end uh, brother has a, a version of it. I think it's called Move It uh-huh. or whatever. But just for listeners who like, you know. Yeah, any brand that has it, you can absolutely use it. And it just it yeah. basically, it pulls it through the same way. Yeah. And it's kind of funny because I know people out there say, no, no, it's not the same. It's not the same. But again, those are the people that aren't machine quilting their own quilts. They well, read something and passed it on. And, I've and so said you it. have to try it. Yeah, I've well, said but- it. You have to try it. Okay. You never know until you yeah. try it. Yeah. You're right. You're yeah. right. And I haven't tried it. So there. Yeah. So, yeah. There you go. <laughs> and if you don't like it, that's okay. I'll still be your friend. <laughs> okay. Cool. <laughs> that, I mean, that's all just a part of it. You have to, you have to try it before you, you know, dismiss it and you never know. And just to be open because, I mean, I'm always learning and I always want to learn. So this is great. And, and yeah, mm-hmm. learning well, just makes you better. Well, I would say if you want, we could go on to the next thing I, I think we're going to chat about, too, is that um, because it's kind of the same idea is I also press my seams open. You know, that's another uh, I was, controversial, uh, is one of my questions. Yeah. Yeah. Controversial. <laughs> I, oh, no, don't press. And, and again, I'm like, have you tried it? Have you done it? Have you had issues with it? So I started about five years ago. My whole process changed. My basting process changed. My um, stitching in the ditch and pressing my seams open and, and trying the dual feed, all that changed about five years ago. So every single quilt I have made for the last five years, I've used these techniques that I've been doing. And I tell you, pressing your seams open, oh my goodness, makes a hundred percent difference in how easy it is to machine quilt, whether yeah. it's walking foot quilting or free motion quilting. Because what happens when you're on a domestic machine, you're twisting and turning and shoving and scrunching that quilt under the machine. And if you don't have a smooth surface, if your needle gets hung up on a bump, especially when you have a lot of intersections coming together, one of two things is going to happen. Either your stitches are going to get super tiny because your needle's going to get caught on that bump or it's going to break a needle. Mm. Once I switch to pressing my seams open, I don't have skip stitches. I don't have tiny stitches. I don't break needles because your, your foot and your needle can glide over the seams whether you stitch them in the ditch, whether you cross over the seams, it makes a world of difference. Mm-hmm. Now, the downside of that is, number one, it takes longer to press your seams open. You know, mm-hmm. it does take longer because I open them up with my finger first and then I go over it with a hot, dry iron. And the second thing is what can happen is if you stitch with longer stitches when you're piecing your quilt, the, um, the seams can split at the edges because there's nothing to secure them. So to compensate for that, I sew with a shorter stitch length. So instead of sewing with like a 2.5 millimeter, which Mm -hmm. is like the default on most machines, I turn it down to like 2.0 or 1.8 or something. Um, So it's the same thing that, you know, when people do foundation paper piecing and they say, oh, lower your stitch length, you know, when you're stitching to perforate the paper, lower your stitch length when you're pressing seams open and your seams are going to stick together. So again, techniques that I've tried, they work for me, try them out. If they work for you, great. If not, stick with what you're doing and, you know, nobody's the wiser. Right. Right. And that's a great tip. So to make your stitches smaller. Um, Yeah. Because yeah, people are like, well, you know, 
because when the stitch length is longer, you can sometimes see the little gaps between the stitches or like at the ends. And so exactly. Yeah. And, and contrary to what people say is like, oh, that's going to weaken your seams. It does not weaken the seams. It doesn't it doesn't puncture the fabric. It actually strengthens it because you're putting another line of stitches right there in the seam and you're securing it to the batting and the backing. So if you want to like strengthen your quilt, stitch in the ditch with those seams pressed open and that's like an extra layer of protection and it holds your quilt together and then you can add more quilting mm -hmm. later. So pretty much all the myths, you know, I, 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 I like to kind of bust those myths. I can be like my own, like myth my myth buster. buster for quilting. <laughs> yes. I can be the quilting myth buster. Say, no, it's fine. It's going to work fine. So yeah. Leah Day and I talked about that before and we're like, yay, we're busting those myths. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yep. She does. She's, she's, I called her a maverick. <laughs> yeah. I love her. Yeah. Cause she does too. She presses her seams open. I'm like, yeah. okay, great. Yeah. Leah has kind of a larger following than I'm doing. So I'm like, all right, if I'm telling everybody to do it and she's telling everybody to do it, like we're yeah. good. We're tag teaming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it definitely has come around to people because I, I, I mean, especially in the modern quilt guilds and they all press their seams open. So for the most yeah, part, it just makes, it yeah. just, it's, makes it prettier and flatter mm -hmm. and easier to work with and that's all you know that's all yeah. that's all there is to it so there you go <laughs> all right got that taken care of so let's move on to batting what okay. types of batting do you prefer or like or you know have grown to kind of become accustomed to that is a great question I like anything that's made out of a natural fiber and again this goes back to domestic machine quilting when you're scrunching and smushing the quilt through the machine, if you have a batting that's going to cling to your quilt, there's less likely of a chance that you're going to get puckers. Puckers usually happen when the batting is slipping inside the quilt and it creates a tuck. And the number one culprit of slipping batting is polyester batting. Wow. So even though my long arm friends love polyester batting, they rave about polyester batting, I don't like it. So I don't use it. I use cotton. I use wool. I use silk or bamboo, and my favorite, favorite, favorite batting is a mix of cotton and wool. Hobbs makes it. It's called, it's called their Tuscany. So they're, it's like their Tuscany wool and their Tuscany cotton wool blend is dreamy because cotton is going to give your quilt stability and drape, and then wool is going to give your quilt loft, L-O-F-T, loft, so that mm -hmm. you can see the stitches. So cotton and wool combo is like the best. That's like my favorite. Ooh, I I haven't tried that yet. I I have some just all wool batting that I want to use, but I haven't used it yet. And um, you're right because all the long armors love that eighty twenty. So then you know I started to use that and um, it's okay. It's, it's okay. Yeah, but that's, to me, it's it's scratchy. I, it's yeah, not exactly. Soft. I don't have a real strong like feeling toward it. So yeah, yeah. I like the cotton and wool, and the mm -hmm. and the hundred percent wool is nice too because again, it's gonna wool kind of acts like polyester and it gives you that puff, mm -hmm. but it the stitches sink into it, but it clings better. Okay, here's the only downfall of, of wool batting, hundred percent wool batting. Mm -hmm. When you get it wet, it's gonna smell like wet sheet. So just be warned. <laughs> it's it's it, you might feel like you're on the farm there when you get your quilt wet so because it is it is wool it is smelly yeah yeah but okay and also um I the the Hobbs um I heard her on another podcast the rep oh uh, Stephanie yeah yes. Stephanie, the and I think she said that the, if you use the wool batting that you should like line dry it or not put it in the dryer what if you if you care, I mean, 
right. I watched and dry my quilt because I used it. Good. So That's what I, I wanted to find out because yeah. I, I haven't used it yet, so I don't know. And I would try it. I'm like, let me try I mean, it in yeah, my dryer. If you're, if you're wanting to like preserve and pristine and keep your quilt like for a hundred years, you mm-hmm. know, maybe. But if you're just using it as an everyday quilt, mm-hmm. you know, to me, I love washing my quilts because the, the more, here's another contrary to popular belief. The more you quilt your quilt and the more you wash your quilt, then it can get really soft. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just, I, I, I don't, I'm pretty simple. So I don't use mm-hmm. a ton of different battings, but pretty much cotton, cotton wool blend, um, silk. If I want to do something fancy, it's a little more expensive. Those yeah. are all really good. But again, natural fiber, it's going to breathe on you. It's going to be su- supple. It's going to, mm-hmm. um, the, uh, I think the wool is going to shrink less than cotton. Cotton does shrink oh, okay. up a lot. So that's yeah. why you get that really crinkly, but the wool shrinks less than cotton. So it uh-huh. doesn't shrivel up as much. So oh, that's kind of nice all right. too. All right. Yeah. Cause that was my concern is I'm like, well, what does the wool like, you know, felt in there and then you don't have a quilt yeah. left. <laughs> and if, and if you're, you know, if you're, if you're quilting your quilt rather densely, you know, it'll be fine because okay. it's going to stay there. Yeah. Good to know. Thank you. Hey, anytime. All right. So batting natural fibers. That's great. And threads. Threads. Oh, yes. Cotton. Cotton, cotton, cotton. Orophil, 50-weight cotton. That's all I use. Mm -hmm. Um, You you can use other brands. You want to test it. If it seems like it's too good to be true, it probably is. Um, I've seen the tests where they've taken, like, a thread of, like, Orophil and, like, another brand or something, and they put it under a microscope, and, like, other brands will have, like, slubs and knots and hairs all over them, Mm. whereas the Orophil's a little more smooth. And, of course, full disclosure, I have three thread collections with Orophil. Mm-hmm. They're all 50 weight cotton. I have um, neutrals and colors and then variegated, which is my new fun thing to play with. Yeah. But the thing I want to mention, because I'm very minimalist and I'm very simplistic, I only want to, I only want to deal with one thread. I know that all the companies make a million different threads, but if you have to worry about like which color and which size and which weight and which bobbin and which needle and all that, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's too much to deal with. <laughs> so I use the 50 weight cotton for everything. I use wow. it for hand piecing. Yeah, the, the <clears throat> little, the few times I do hand piece or hand quilt, I use it for that. I use it for machine applique, um, hand binding, machine binding, machine quilting, piecing. I kind of look at it as one thread to rule them all. Uh-huh, mm-hmm. You get the joke. But um, I just, it's just easy and it works. And the best thing is because it's that natural fiber, just like natural fiber in the batting. Mm-hmm. If you quilt your quilts to death like I do and you use cotton thread, it's not going to be stiff. And again, the more you soften up, you wash it. Anytime you put plastic on your quilt, mm-hmm. that's what makes your quilt stiff. Plastic mm-hmm. is non-natural material. Mm-hmm. The nylons and the polyesters and, and the, the monofilament. And the monofilament, which again, nothing wrong with those right. if you want that look, but that's putting plastic in your quilt. And mm-hmm. I want I want natural fibers in my quilt. And yeah. so I stick with cotton fabric. You know, natural fiber batting, and it's a winning combination. Right. And then people don't realize that the nylon polyester melt at higher dryer temperatures. So, I mean, they could. Or could, Yeah, exactly. Cotton, exactly. Cotton's or it might not, not going to color fast. Or cotton doesn't care yeah, if it's a hot like, dryer. <laughs> when, I, when I find something that works, I stick with it, and, mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm done. Like, yeah. I could, I've tried the metallics, and I've tried all these other ones, and that's just not my look. It's not my style. It goes back to what I said in the beginning, make it easy, make it no stress, no fuss. And if I can just have one thread and I don't have to worry about, you know, the the differences between all the different threads, then I don't have to spend time worrying about that. And I can just worry about the quilting. Oh, okay. Very good. Um, I, 
I um, have been quilt. Well, I like I like the fifty weight too, and I love Aurafil. Um, I always piece with it, and I quilt with it often. But I've started to also quilt with forty weight just to see. Oh, because it gives you, yeah, because yeah, you can see it. Thread. Yes, and that's a good point. Yeah, if you want yeah. to see your quilting, if you want to see your quilting, mm-hmm. use a thicker thread, right. which is going to be a lower number because right. it takes fewer strands of thread or more. Yeah. I don't know. I can't remember the science behind uh-huh. it. Um, yeah, and use a contrasting. Mm-hmm. Me, I'm the opposite. I don't want you to see my stitches. They're imperfect. Oh. I want you to see the design. I want you to see the texture. I want you to see the fabric. So everything I do is to hide my stitches. Blending thread thin thread I oh. want the quilting to be an afterthought even though don't get me wrong I, I can quilt some pretty crazy stuff I can spend a lot of time quilting uh-huh. um but because now I design fabric and I want to show uh-huh. off the fabric I want to show off the whole quilt I don't want it to be like oh my gosh look at your quilting I want it to be oh what a great quilt and come closer oh I like the fabric oh I like the thread mm-hmm. I like the design I don't want to I don't want to like slap you in the face with my quilting so yeah. I don't make it the star of my show. But that's just my personal that's preference. A good, that, but yeah, but that's a good point to bring up and to consider because, you know, there there are, you know, let's say if you do whole cloth quilting, then, you know, your thread's kind of going to be the star. But you're right. Yeah. If you're showcasing the fabric and the design of the quilt, then, you know, your thread's not going to be the star. <laughs> Exactly. You just want something that looks good, that's going to hold your quilt together and, and still be interesting. I know I think we talked about this before, but like the one whole cloth quilt I made was in the book that I did with Angela. And she she made hers. Hers was like a white quilt with very like light colored thread. Mine was like a black quilt with like neon turquoise thread. Oh, so that yeah. was my one and only quilt that I was like super high contrast. And oh my <laughs> gosh, I had to be so perfect mm-hmm. and so careful. And, and that was a good exercise for me to put it in the book. And then I got that out of my system, and I don't need to do that kind of quilting again. <laughs> That's funny. I, I can go back to my imperfection. <laughs> so you mentioned you have a variegated um, Aurifil, um, what do they call it, collection or box? Yeah. Uh-huh. And I like variegated threads, too, but I haven't really, you know, sometimes I will quilt with it, and I'm like, it's just not because of the way it went with the color changes. So what are your tips on quilting with variegated thread and tell us what we can expect okay. using it? That's a, so there's two ways. There's two ways to be successful with variegated thread. The first way is when you want all that color to show. Now, just as an example, like, yeah, in my box, I have 12 different variegated threads. Some of them are very slightly variegated where it's more like a tone on tone. It's like different shades of blue or different Mm -hmm. shades of green. Other of them have dramatic color changes. Like one of them has like black and white in the same spool. Um, One of them has like, you know, red, white, and blue in the same spool. Um, So when you want all that thread to show, you want to quilt it on a solid or tone on tone fabric that's going to contrast. For example, let's say I have a multicolored thread. You've seen a lot of really cool like reds and green and purple and orange all in the same one. Mm -hmm. Then you want to quilt that on like a white fabric or a gray fabric or a black fabric that does not contain any of the colors in your thread. Otherwise it'll disappear. So like, let's say you're quilting um, a variegated color and you quilt it on like, let's say yellow fabric. Mm -hmm. Well, you're going to see all that variegated thread, except when you get to the yellow part of the thread, it's going to disappear and your design would be lost. So right. if you want if you want the thread to show, you need to make sure you're quilting it on a fabric that does not contain any of the colors in the thread. So that's one end of, that's one end of the spectrum. Okay. The other, I don't do that very often because I don't want my stitches to show. 
The other end of the spectrum and what I do is because my fabrics that I design are multicolored and bright and cheerful and busy, I use variegated on very busy printy fabrics where you're not gonna see the, the quilt, or excuse me, yeah, you're not gonna see the quilting as much, you're just gonna see the texture. And so for example, like my latest quilt that I made called Color Weave, which is mm -hmm. a quilt along, which I can talk about in a minute, mm -hmm. it had literally every color of the rainbow in it. So I used a variegated thread so that it would go with everything. You know, because when you're saying, well, how do you choose blending thread mm -hmm. if you have all of the colors of the rainbow? Right. Well, if your thread has all of the colors of the rainbow, and you're not doing a specific design where you want to see the quilting, then it blends in. So, wow. so try a variegated thread on busy fabric if you want it to blend. Try it on a solid one color fabric that's not in the thread if you want it to stand out. If you kind of do like halfway where you're like, oh, I'm gonna quilt this really cute, like, I don't know, moon and star motif for a baby quilt. And you do that like on the border, but again, mm -hmm you have one of the colors of the thread in the fabric, then that design's going to disappear. Right. It's, or half the design disappears. I've or had ha that or half the design. Yeah. <laughs> so you just have to, you have to say, okay, I either want it all to blend in yes. or I want none of it to blend in. What you're doing and what I've done before is if only half of it blends in, then you kind of aren't going either direction. It looks right. kind of funky. Yeah. So either blend all of it in or blend none of it in. And that's your two extremes that you're going to have success with. All right. Great. That's, that's excellent. Answers my question. Um, good. So we've the, that kind of covers, I mean, most of the tools and materials, right? Yeah, I think so. Yep. Yeah. Yep, we got them. Okay, good. So now we're going to get into the techniques. And okay, um, so you've made your quilt top, and you're getting ready to put three layers together. Share your spray base technique, because I think this is great. And um, I've tried it. I don't always spray based my quilts, but I always spray base like smaller quilts, like the lap size or uh, crib, crib. Oh, you quilts. can do them all. You can do them all, honey. Yeah. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Tell you. Again, this is one of those techniques that I, I like. I don't know. My life changed five years ago. I started writing books. It's like I found all these techniques that I'd been reading about over and over, and I finally put them together. And I'm like, oh, when you do them, they actually work together. So, <laughs> yeah. So my spray basting technique yeah. is um, the key. The key, key, key is that I I spray the quilt top and backing separately outside and then I bring it inside to assemble. So I'm gonna kind of go over with you maybe the next 30 to 45 seconds. I'm gonna explain it to you. And I have step-by-step -step photos of this on my blog, which we can link to later and people yes. can go find it. Yeah. So you take your you take your basting spray, like I like 505 because it's the one brand I tried and I love it and I had no need to try any other brand because it's okay. been worked. And so I take a sheet, a big king size flat sheet, take it outside, Put it on the ground at a oh. park or on a table or whatever. I want to do it outside. Um, or if you want to, you can do it in a basement with an open window, whatever. But I, I just throw it on the ground to protect the quilt. Right. Then right. I put the back, the wrong side up. So like the backing, wrong side up. Spray the whole thing with basting spray. Fold it up and set it aside. Mm. Then I take the quilt top. Hold, hold <laughs> on. Me. You said yeah. fold it up. So yes, it's yes. not going to get sticky all over the place. It's not going to get sticky all over the place. Okay. It's sticky, but it's not stuck. It's not like glue, like Elmer's glue that's dripping everywhere. It's just a oh. very light tacky. People have that in their mind. Like, oh, they can't touch it. No, no, no. You can wad that puppy up into a ball for all I care <laughs> because the magic happens when you take it inside and you put it together. Okay. So yeah. Cool. So spray it, wad it up, fold it up, mm -hmm. set it aside, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, then I do the same thing with the top. Lay the quilt top wrong side up on your sheet, spray it, fold it up, 
what I actually do is I take both the top and the bat and the backing, the top to the backing. I throw it in the king size sheet, wad the whole thing up, and then I bring it inside. Okay. okay. What I'm not doing is I'm not spraying the batting. That's where you get messy. That's where you get something hard to deal with. Don't spray the batting. Spray the top and the backing. So that's first step. Then come inside and assemble the three layers, either on the floor if you have to, but please don't. On your kitchen table, you don't need a huge table. Or what I do is I do it on my design wall, which yes. is really big. I so, love it. And mm-hmm. I can link, yeah, I can link to my design wall too. Yeah. So what I'm doing is I'm basically taking the backing of the quilt. Uh-huh. I'm peeling it apart out of its big old wadded up mess. Uh-huh. And I am pinning it to the top of my design wall in a big old wadded up mess. And then I'm slowly unfurling it and taking about a half an hour to smooth it out, spread it out. And it's going to stick to my design wall. Now, it's obviously wrong side up, sticky side up. Mm-hmm. And the back of it is clinging to the design wall. Yes. Takes me about half an hour to do that. Then I take my batting that I have cut, kind of cut to size. And then I smooth that all out on my design wall. Just think of yourself almost like a like all the, like a spider with arms sticking out everywhere. And you're just smoothing it all over the place. <laughs> um, I'll take my acrylic ruler and I'll smooth it all out. Again, takes another 20 to 30 minutes to spread out the, the batting. The final layer is that I take the top, and of course now it's right side up, wrong side sticking to the batting. Mm-hmm. batting. Again, in a big old wadded up mess, I start at the top, unfurl it, smooth it out. Now the key is you want your batting to be four or five inches bigger. You want your backing to be about six to seven inches bigger so you don't have to line things up perfectly and you can kind of overshoot and you might have, you know, three inches sticking out on one side and four inches sticking out on the other side and that all gets trimmed away later. So once you have all three layers on the design wall, on the table, whatever, you smooth them all out. You try to like put the seams back into place if you need to. And then here's the key. After all of your layers are are put together, you take it to your ironing board and you iron the quilt. You iron the backside and you iron the front side. And what that does is that sets the glue so that no matter if it's a baby size or a king size quilt, it sticks together after you iron it. And the bonus thing is that once you iron it, that gives you a final um, opportunity to smooth anything into place. Like if you get a bubble or a wrinkle that develops on the back, Uh you just give it a little yank like you would like smoothing out a sheet and you iron it and it sticks together and it works perfectly. So again, that's a quick overview. I have step-by-step photos for everything I just mentioned. You do, and I yeah. tell you, it works. It works, it works, it works. It's so much easier. You will not hate basting anymore. You right. know, most people buy out buy a long arm machine so they don't have to baste their quilts. That's the number <laughs> one reason. Because they don't want to baste their quilts. But when you do this method, you're like, okay. Uh-huh. And if you don't have a design wall, but your friend does, then she gets to host basting parties at her house. There you, you know go. what I mean? Yeah. And you just get together. Yeah, one of you put up a design wall in your house. Uh-huh. Or when I uh, when I talked to the dealers at Bernie University, I told them they could be the, the the hot shop on the block if they put up a design wall in their classroom for people to come and baste with. Yeah, everybody would love them. So yeah. anyway, that's a good idea. it's yeah. So that's my process. Works yeah. like a charm. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. And we will do the link um, to point at that because it's I think it's a good tutorial and I've known that you had it out there and I've tried it just on the the little baby quilts but now I understand it a little bit better because I, I okay some, good somehow I must have missed the whole folding it up <laughs> yeah thing. yeah there's like I yeah, with the big quilts like I I thought that oh you have to spray it on but you can't like it can't touch you know oh it can totally touch <laughs> yeah it'll it'll stick and then you just pull it apart you know what I mean it'll yeah, stick that's great. but it's not it's not 
it's not permanent. It's not crazy glue. So yeah. you're good. And then heat setting it. Okay, great. So now we've um, basted the layers and um, we're going to quilt it. So talk about just like your go-to quilting stitches for beginners. And then let's kind of graduate that up for like the people who are more intermediate and advanced. Perfect. That's I. That's exactly how I quilt. Okay. For beginners, stick with walking foot quilting, dual feet quilting. Um, the easiest easiest design to quilt is a wavy line and a regular wavy line. All you do is you just set up your machine with your walking foot or your dual feed and you put all the, the defaults as if you were just like piecing, you know, you're just straight stitching and you put your machine under there and you rotate your machine from side to side and you quilt a wavy line. It's a regular, it's imperfect. No wavy line looks like any other wavy line. And you literally do that all over your quilt and it looks amazing. No fail quilting. That's one of the first designs I teach. That is the first design I teach when I teach machine quilting. And five, five minutes into class, people are quilting on their little practice samples. And they're like, oh my gosh, this just paid for the class learning this one technique. <laughs> so wavy line. So that's beginner, beginner, no fail. Anybody can do that. You can do that. Any. So now we're going to go into intermediates. What do you okay. recommend? So, so once somebody is comfortable with their wavy line design, because that's the beginning design, everybody can do it. They can have 100% success. Then you graduate to free motion quilting. Um, because the thing of it is, when I teach, first I get people comfortable with walking foot quilting. Once they know they can do walking foot quilting, then they know that free motion is only a matter of practice, that they can do it, they can have success. Mm -hmm. So when they're ready to move on to that, the easiest way to do free motion quilting is to pick one design and quilt it all over from edge to edge across the quilt. Then you're not worrying about seams. You're not worrying about putting different uh, designs in any area. You're just focusing on one thing. So like a swirl or a stipple or like a modern boxes design or jagged design. A lot of fun, you know, really easy designs that I teach. Whatever your favorite design is, quilt that all over. By the time you're done quilting that quilt with one free motion design, you'll be an expert at that motif. So then once you're comfortable and you want to go on, the, the more advanced technique is what I call putting them together and divide and conquer. And this is where I use both walking foot and free motion in the same quilt. Mm -hmm. And the way I do it is first I say, okay, stitch in the ditch. That's going to anchor your quilt. It's going to secure it to add more quilting later. Do all the ditching first that you're going to do. Then if you want to highlight certain areas, you can echo the ditch. Um, you'll see in very dynamic quilts, you're not gonna necessarily see the stitching in the ditch, but you might see lines next to the ditch that separate the blocks from each other or separate the block from the background. And if you just do a simple echo with your walking foot next to the seam line, mm -hmm. you're gonna add an extra layer of dimension that's gonna mm -hmm. really kind of stand out and pop and go, wow. Yeah. So do all that. Then add free motion quilting, but this time pick maybe two or three designs and quilt them in different areas of the quilt. I've done this very successfully. Let's say you have like a white fabric and like a pink fabric and a red fabric. Well, maybe in all the white areas, you quilt one free motion design. And then all the pink areas, you quilt another. And all the red areas, it's kind of like quilt by, by number, quilt by color. Color, yeah. <laughs> and then, or you divide up areas of the quilt. Maybe you want to highlight a different area or highlight a different block. The easiest way to do that is quilt a different design. So really all that is, is custom quilting. So you either have simple walking foot quilting or you have simple free motion quilting, or you do custom quilting where you combine walking foot and free motion. But the thing I always like to tell everybody, nothing is hard to do, it just takes more time. Mm -hmm. If you stitch wavy lines all over your quilt, that's gonna take you not very long. 
However, if you do intricate, very tiny, tight stippling or pebbling or free motion work over that same area, it can take you two, three, four times longer. Mm -hmm. So the quilting design isn't necessarily any harder. It just takes longer time, longer to do it. Right, right. Okay, cool. That's great. Wonderful. Um, just to, you know, kind of, I, I don't, I mean, I've taken some quilting, you know, classes and online, but never, I've, I've always wanted to know, and I've never gotten this, like, what's the graduation levels and, you know, starting with and, you know, getting better and, you know, so forth. So this is great. Yeah. And a lot of it goes back to what we talked about before, when you're having fun, when you're feeling like you can do it, then you just add a little more skill each time. You know, you don't, you don't start off. You know, like we're teaching my daughter to drive. She's almost going to be 16. Uh-huh. You know, we don't start her off like, okay, go drive on the freeway. You know, <laughs> take her in the desert and, and her dad is with her because he's the one teaching her. Uh-huh. And we start off very, very slowly. And then we add on to the skills as yeah. you go. And quilting really is like driving a car, but it's it's a lot safer and it's a lot more fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's basically that motor, you know, the motor, it's a motor skill. It's a muscle memory. Mm-hmm. It's learning where to put your hands, where to look when you're driving, you know, quilting mm-hmm. and, you know, how to stay on, on which correct side of the ditch. You right. Know, so. Right. And I would just say that for listeners that, you know, if you are taking classes on quilting machine or uh, free motion to, you know, um, I guess research the class and the instructor because I, I, my first foray into free motion quilting was an in-person class, but the instructor went through all of the stitches. It's like, and we got like two minutes, okay, practice that, do the star and the, you know, whatever, and then do the heart and this, and then do the swirls. And it was just overwhelming. It was just too much. It was too much. It was, I yeah. was like, I, you know, and I was discouraged. I was like, I am never going to be able to do this. <laughs> it, it, it's, and it's all about that. It's, it's building up their skills. Mm-hmm. It's building up their skills. So whenever, so that's why whenever I came in and I teach, yeah. I always teach walking foot quilting first. Yeah. I teach walking foot quilting first because in it, I talk about my basting and I talk about piecing and pressing seams open and all those kind of things where I'm actually teaching a lot more besides quilting. I'm teaching quilt making, but again, mm-hmm. going back, because I do every step of the process, I understand how pressing your seams open is going to make a big di- difference mm-hmm. when you're machine quilting. I understand that because I want to get the quilt done, I don't want to have to like stop and tie off my threads all the time. So what are my tips for that? Or, you know, what kind of designs do you choose? And then I do a lecture on basically how do I quilt it? Because that's what everybody else wants to know. How do I quilt it? What designs do I choose? And, yes. You know, a lecture for QuiltCon. I've given it for the Modern Quilt Gale and I've given it to lots of guilds. But in a nutshell, it is... Look at the quilt, figure out how much time you have, what your skill level is, and uh, take all considerations into effect so that you have a good experience when you're quilting. Great. This is very encouraging. I love this. All right. So now we're, we're rolling along. We've quilted our quilt, and now we're going to bind it. And you say that you do two and a quarter inch strips. And this is another thing where you just get all these conflicting amounts of information and some people are two and a half inch strip two inch strip but um I I like the two and a quarter too and I just started doing that more recently I had been just doing two and a half inch strips before but there was always that little bit too much of the fabric well here's what I found and this is this is you know (laughs) so in my patterns I say two and a quarter because that's a standard Uh but recently I've started cutting them two inches wide when I'm using my dual feed 
patchwork foot on my Bernina. And the reason why, so normally I would do two and a quarter inches and I would just quilt it or I would attach it with my walking foot and kind of guesstimate a quarter inch, but my seams would actually be wider than a quarter inch. Yeah. Or what would be that the binding was skinny on one side and fat on the other side. Yes. So recently, recently I've started cutting out my strips at two inches. I use my, um, I think it's the, the, the 57D or 97D or what, one of them, um, the quarter inch foot that fits the dual feed. And so what that allows me to do is I stitch an accurate quarter inch on the front. And then when I flip it around to the back, it's a quarter inch on the back as well. So two inch binding works if you're stitching with quarter inch seams. If you're stitching with three eighths inch seams, mm-hmm. then you need quarter mm-hmm. to make sure you wrap it all the way around. Um, but yeah, I, I, I have a binding tutorial too. I can mm-hmm. give you the link for that as well. Oh, good. But just like with everything else I do, I do binding one way. I, I cut my strips. I have the double fold binding. Mm-hmm. I attach it so that you can't see, you know, where I've started and stopped. And I do like to hand bind. You know, I do feel that that's fine. Yeah. If yeah. I do, I have machine bound some quilts. Um, and in fact, I'm actually doing quilts along right now where we're going to machine bind the quilt. And whenever I'm going to machine bind the quilt, I actually use a decorative stitch to finish it off. Because unless you're absolutely perfect, it's really hard to stitch in the ditch in the seam when you're doing binding. Yes. So I just use a decorative stitch and then it becomes part of the design. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, yeah, most of the time I just bind by hand. And mm-hmm. that's like my favorite part when I can just sit back and relax and watch a movie and yeah. just kind of chill out and, and be one with the quilt. Yeah. And I mean, the the machine quilting is good. And especially if you're in a time crunch or you just, you know, it's, it's a baby quilt. So it's going to be like handled and washed and everything a million times. Although I still feel like hand quilting is still like very um, strong and it is, it's, and it's flexible. Yeah. Because you're, you're putting in a lot of stitching, you know, when yeah. I do my stitches, I'm just, I'm very doing them very tight, very close together, mm-hmm. almost like a, like a hand applique stitch. So yeah. But there's nothing like the look of a hand-bound quilt. It looks clean and yeah. nice. It takes me, you know, it'd be interesting to compare. it For like a normal throw size quilt, it takes me about four hours to hand stitch it. It takes about one hour per side. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, oh, that's like four episodes of whatever, you know, latest season of something <laughs> I watch. Yeah. That's like four podcasts or, you know, yeah. something like that. Yep. not too bad. Yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. So, um I think in one of your books, you talked about labeling quilts and, and I'm a big proponent of labeling quilts as well. There's so many different ways to do it. Um, but go ahead and talk about your uh, preferred method or like, you know, less, least amount of time and stressful so people can just not worry about it and they can label their quilts and be done. Well, okay. If I'm thinking ahead of time, which most of the time I'm rushing last minute, but if I'm planning it out ahead of time, what I like to do is I like to piece the label into the backing. You know, you can kind of either in the center or, or a little bit on the corner, but not exactly in the corner because stuff's going to get turned off. You can actually just like piece it into the backing or you can like use an extra block and you can put it on top of it and then just stitch it down to the backing. Mm-hmm. So if you, you can get your label in there before you quilt and bind it, then when you quilt it, it'll secure the label and you can, you can sew the label into it and then just like leave a blank spot and write on it with like a um, permanent pen or a fabric marking pen. Mm-hmm. You know, if you make it and it's not like two years later until you finish it, you can just leave all the information and then just come back in there later. Mm-hmm. Now, most of the time I'm putting the, the sleeve on or the label on after the quilt. And so in that case, what I like to do is I will just use my machine and I will just take a big, like a big chunk of um, fabric and I actually put um, stabilizer, like Wonder Under, on the back of it um, to stabilize it, and like an iron-on. And then um, 
let me, I have to think about this for a second. Do I do that and then stitch on? No, I do that and then I secure it. Hold on a second. I'm trying to think what I do. I put that on there. Like an applique. Okay. I had to think about it. Right. I actually take two layers. I do that later. I take oh. two layers of fabric because you do need a stabilizer to stitch through it. So I, two, I stitch through two layers of fabric. And just with my machine, I just do machine embroidery, like just a simple alphabet. And so I just embroider, you know, whatever quilt, whatever date, whatever size on it. Oh. Then after I've made the label and I've made it oversized, then I take a piece of um, Wonder Under and I iron it to the back side so that once I take the paper off, it'll stick to the back of the quilt right. and it'll the quilt. I'll iron it to the back of the quilt and then I'll just go around and I'll just finish the edges by hand. So it's not necessarily glamorous. It's not really fast, but it gets the job done. Yeah, it's similar to what I do because I, I stitch it by hand and a lot of times I'll use the binding because I'll have leftover and I'll edge that around the the label oh, fabric. Oh, I haven't done that. I'm going to do that now. Thank yeah. you. Just, yeah, that's a great Yay. idea. I have, I have a tip. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. Um, I don't think about that because I'm always like most of my quilts. Th this is bad. I'll wrap myself out to the quilt police. I only put labels <laughs> when I have to. <laughs> like, oh, I go to a show. It needs a label. Oh, yeah. it has to go to a magazine and it needs a label. If it doesn't need a label, it, it doesn't get one until very often later on in the process. So. Yeah. But the, hey, that's fine. You know, hey, you, got, you are a busy person. <laughs> if first comes to worst, I'll take a marker and I'll just write on the back of the quilt too. Not yeah. Fun. Yeah. And that's kind of cool. And I've seen people um, embroider right in uh, on the quilt, you know, on the, sometimes they'll do it um, on a wide binding or on the back yeah it's it's. I mean there's so many fun different ways to do it and people are very creative and inventive with it so I like seeing all the different ways they do yeah. it I incorporate my salvages into it because it already has my name on it <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> oh cool so let's let's get on to your um, quilt patterns and books so you're uh, you know here, I'm going to pull, this is my favorite quilt pattern of yours. It's called Blooming Wallflowers. And um, I haven't made it yet, but I just, I love the floating and, and the abstract, but it's abstract, but I, I mean, it looks like flowers floating to me. Oh, yay. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so that one, originally, um, I love designing, but it takes me a long time to design. So a lot of times when I come up with a good design, I'll try to get as much mileage out of I can as it out of I can. I can't talk today. I'll try to get as much <laughs> mileage as I can. So um, with that one, it was actually in a magazine several years ago. And then I got the rights reverted back to me. I thought, oh, this will be perfect for my fabric collection because of the whole, you know, flowers and everything. And so I re-released it. I, I made it again using my new fabric and all that. And it turned out great. And I had, we actually did a quilt along on it a couple months ago. So if you go and you just I have a quilt along tab you know all my quilts alongs are free you just normally have to buy a pattern or a book or something for the design that we're making but you can go back there and you can see the step-by-step -step process of cutting and piecing and basting and quilting and binding but um, it's really cool seeing the fabrics that people choose to make that pattern and it just it blows me away what mm -hmm. people do yeah it is really cool to see all the different um fabric combinations and and what they focus on of what's going to pop out and what's going to recede because like when you use that dark fabric in the background it recedes and that's why the flowers like pop off the the quilt yeah that's what I like yeah. about it yeah so that's where because because the fabrics are busy and dark mm -hmm. you don't see the quilting there's some fun quilting yeah. in 
but it's a good practice. And that's my other machine quilting tip is if you want to practice a design, quilt it on a busy fabric where it's okay if you can't see all the wobbles and bobbles. Mm, okay, good. And also, <laughs> you, this is really great. You At the end, you give a machine quilting suggestion. Yes, I do that in all my patterns because nothing bothers me more when I see a quilt pattern in a magazine or somewhere and it'll give you all this instruction and then they'll say, quilt is desired. Right, it's and, desired. <laughs> and a million UFOs because you don't know what to do with them. Right. And so because I want to be a cheerleader, I want to be a, you know, encourager and help people, you know, make the whole quilt, not just the top. I do include um, quilting suggestions, machine quilting plans in all of my patterns. And, and the neat thing about it is sometimes people will take a design from one pattern, a quilt plan, and then they'll apply it to another quilt and it looks just as good. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I love, I love pebbles. And so you've got the pebbles inside the little triangles here. Yeah. That's great. Yep. And, and, yep. and your um, graphics are great too. So yeah. Oh, thank you. So everybody go to uh, Krista's website and I'll put that in the show notes. Um, patterns. I, ne- I just now started selling my PDF patterns on Etsy Ooh, and okay. I should like years ago because some people like the print patterns you know the paper versions but people also like the pdf uh patterns so i, mm-hmm. I sell both versions of them on, on your etsy shop you said yeah etsy is where i sell pdf and okay. then i sell the paper versions on my standalone site got it which is shop.crystalquilts.com great good and also we should mention your three books that you have out as well machine oh, yeah, yeah, with style mm-hmm. um uh, there's pieces. You know what? I'm working on book number four right now as we <gasps> speak. So Get I know a little jump in the gun, but that's slated to come out. Um, what year are we in? 2019? Next year, 2020. Will be oh, my good, next. good. Yeah. So uh, this is your most recent one, the piece and quilt with yeah. cuts. And people like to use pre-cuts too, so that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, Whenever you see me sharing a lot of content, like friends and other people like, oh, look what so-and-so made with my fabric or look what so-and-so made with my patterns and you don't see anything from me, then I'm working on secret sewing behind the scenes. <laughs> I see. Um, yeah, that's good. And, and and I appreciate that you don't taunt us with secret sewing because I hate that. <laughs> it's out there. I'll show, you, I'll show you a year from now. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's fine because I don't want to see it until I can actually see it. So... <laughs> um, All right. So we're kind of at the end here. Uh, Is there any other machine quilting words of wisdom that you would like to impart with us? (laughs) Just dive in and give it a try and don't be afraid. And it's okay to be imperfect. And the best way to hide imperfect stitches is to surround them with more imperfect stitches. Because the more, the better. Wonderful. Well, you know, this has been very informative and um, I love that, um, you know, machine quilting is accessible to all of us. You can use whatever machine you have and you can produce wonderful looking quilts from, like you said, start to finish. So thanks very much, Krista. I really appreciate you coming on and talking on in uh, my series of different types of quilting. I can't wait to go back and listen to all of it because you know what? The other thing I will leave everybody with is take as many different classes as you can from as many different instructors. We're all going to teach it a different way. And you're going to pick and choose and customize, you know, a little bit from me, maybe a little bit from Leah Day, maybe a little bit from Andrew Walters, anybody else. And and you're going to be able to absorb what we have to share and then truly make it your own so that you have success. Great. Yes, I totally agree. 
and I'm like a sponge, so I love to pull from everybody that I can. <laughs> All right, cool. Thanks, Krista. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on again. It was so, it was so much fun. So I hope you enjoyed this episode on machine quilting with Krista Watson. I really appreciate her coming back on to the show. And I do apologize for the sound um, quality towards the end of the episode. I know it's there. Uh, I actually edited a ton um, in that part. We were just having some technical issues and uh, you know what happens. And I just tried to make it um, you know, as smooth as possible. We've got two more episodes left in the series of the different types of quilting. So be sure to subscribe and share the episode with your friends. You know, there's still um, a lot of quilters and makers and decorators out there that, that you know, haven't really gotten onto the podcast uh, uh, thing yet. Just share it with your friends and whoever and show them how to you know install the podcast app (laughs) and how to subscribe and don't forget to rate and review on itunes all right have a good one bye-bye thanks for listening to the make and decorate podcast you can find the show notes and the podcast episodes on my website at stephaniesochadesign.com and i appreciate any ratings reviews and comments that you Uh, would like to post and give me feedback on Instagram or wherever you are at. Okay, bye!